Blog Talk Radio. You're all I've ever wanted, but I'm terrified of you. Seek my castle may be haunted, but I'm terrified of you. I've cast my spell on millions, but I'm terrified of you. Baby, I do this from the ceiling, but I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life to fight the right one. Then you come along and that freaks me out. Someone frightened, ooh, Dracula's run. Never ran from no one, but I'm terrified of you. See, my heartbeat is a slow one, but I'm terrified of you. I've been around for ages, but I'm terrified of you. Run my thing across the stage, but yet I'm terrified of you. I'm with my whole life. the right one. Then you come along and that freaks me out I want to fight Dracula's wedding uh, You know I'm terrified uh, You know I'm terrified You know I'm terrified Shh, tuning in. Um, we're going to start off by thanking Ryan Jones with the Freaking Awesome Paranormal Show for another episode of this and having the opportunity. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am a psychic medium. I am a paranormal investigator and researcher with a local team here in Buffalo, New York, uh, Ghost Stories, Facts and Fiction, or GFFF. Um, I will tag them below after this, and um, so I'd just like to say I'm super excited. Um, so May 21st to the 22nd, we are having a psychic fair, and um, our entire team will be there. Um, I know that most of them are selling a lot of interesting things, and um, I will have a table there. And I'm super excited um, if you want to come talk to me about Ouija boards or anything spiritual that's happening in your life. And 
Mondale. It is at Wales Center Fire Hall, again, in Wales Center, New York. It's like right past East Aurora. So tonight I have a very special guest. His name is Timothy Shaw. This guy, in my eyes, is literally a paranormal legend. <laughs> um, so thank you for being on here. Tim, I'm going to add you, and I'm just going to just start our conversation. There we go. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Right. Hi. Hold on, Tim. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm struggling here. <laughs> Can you hear me? Wait. Um, Rob, let me turn this up. This is a brand-new laptop and a brand-new phone. Can you hear me now? Shit. Wait. Rob! <laughs> well done. Really? Rob! Can you not hear me at all? What? I can't hear anything. Huh? Help me. What? I can't hear him. Here, you're, you're okay. Oh. <laughs> can't hear him. says it's muted, but I can't figure out how to fix it. What do you mean? Right there. See that speaker? It says it's muted. So how do I unmute it? Uh-huh. Can I touch it? I know. What happened? Did he go out? See if he comes back down and it works. We're trying to adding it again. Help me. Help me. I I don't know how to do it. I don't use streamer. Hey Ryan, can you hey. hear me? Yeah, you can hear him. Can you help me add Tim? I mean, it looks like his mic is probably not. It might be something on his end. Oh yeah. He, he has to unmute his microphone. I, uh, yeah, I tried. Yeah. Well, that's something. Send a message. Yeah. Tell him to see if he can unmute himself. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm already logged on to Blog Talk. Oh. Okay. 
Thanks. He's still there. I, I see him. Should I try to add him again? Let me know. Yeah, I'm going to send him a message.
what you're, you know, of, of uh, uh, what we're taught, the reality that we live in. That really is. Plus, on top of this, the mental mediumship of some of these old timers that I learned from was incredible. And the stuff that they could do and, and the, uh, uh, the messages that they brought through and all of the, uh, I mean, I've seen trans mediums and I've seen uh, physical mediums and, and uh, I've, 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 I've seen the gambit and uh, uh, River Robert Schuler who did, I saw, well, he does transfiguration. I saw that as a kid. What is transfiguration? And, uh, transfiguration is where the medium produces ectoplasm. A lot of times it's used in a spirit cabinet, so it's, the energy is actually uh, contained, and you actually have two other mediums that act as batteries on the outside. And if you create an ectoplasmic mask that goes over your face, and it creates the form, the facial features of someone who is in the congregation, uh, and people actually... You see it, and they're encouraged to shout it out. You'll still see it. And seconds later, somebody across the room will shout out that they saw the exact same thing that you've just seen. And the face, the facial features uh, change. They go from bald to hair. And, and you can still see the medium behind it. It's like a, it's like a uh, plastic mask. But that's an incredible, that's really an incredible, incredible phenomenon to witness. And... Uh, you start seeing stuff like that. That's old school. That's really old school stuff. They don't, there's not a lot of people that can do that anymore. Uh, a lot of people will do the flashlight thing, and that's all optical. But to see something of that nature under a red light uh, is is just incredible. And a lot of, like I said, the mental mediumship it was 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 bar none, bar none because of the fact of the stuff that they could tell you. Uh, I had a medium years ago that told that used the exact phrase that I had said on the way up to, uh, uh, to the assembly. So, uh, you know, things of that nature can be really great. Now, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of it's popcorn. A lot of it is just, a lot of it is influenced by new age, and it's more general. It's more psychic reading, where back in the day, mediumship was purely to bring through uh, identifiers and bring through people and energetic personality to prove to give proof that there is life after death. There's something else to change called death. So that, I mean, that, that to me has always been something that's been very, very important. I think a lot of times mediums and, and psychics, when they work generally, and I know myself, if I do gallery at some at a location or if I'm doing a casino gig or whatever, uh, I will work both ways, psychic and medium. But if I'm working strictly through church, you know, within church standards or in a church, 100% spiritualist, you bring through an identifier, you bring through uh, messages, you bring through something that the person that you've come to can actually understand and grasp onto and, and really give you that validation that they understand who is coming through. So as a major fan of yours. <laughs> you've got to aim higher, kid. you got to aim higher. <laughs> uh-uh. No, no, no. Can I ask you, what is your personal history with the Hensel House? Personal history? I'll tell you what. I I first learned of the Hensel House by accident. I was doing some research, and I was looking for some haunted locations in, uh, oh, God, I can't think of it. I was heading down towards Pennsylvania, and I was looking for locations that were going down the lake. And all of a sudden, a uh, I found it on the Internet, to be honest with you. 
I found it on the internet, and I looked, and there were some books that were written about it or had been mentioned in it. Uh, and uh, I went and I ordered them. I bought them. The one was Claire Miller's book, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And uh, that goes that's the haunting. Well, that's, that's the book on it. I mean, it's really great. They had another psychic from Maine actually wrote uh, some stuff about it. A chapter called The Haunted House. And uh, he was brought in by Father Alphonsus Trimbold, uh to work there. And there really wasn't a whole lot in that one. But, uh, you know, Clara, Clara Dandy's work, uh, Clara Miller now, uh, really chronicled a lot of it. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's I would say it, it is good for the time period because of the fact that it was written from a 1970s perspective. And in the 1970s, everything was demonic. Everything was, it was either good or bad. There was no middle ground. A lot of times it was all, uh, it was all shock. A lot of it was shock because we've got to remember back in the, like the late 70s, 80s, going into the 90s, you had the satanic panic that was going on at the time. I was, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a survivor of satanic panic because of the fact that my belief system was not quite a, a Judeo-Christian belief that, was so that was just so prevalent back then. And even though the New Age had grasped into the into the culture, uh, it was still looked down upon. It was still looked as something that whatever you're doing is, is the work of the devil. And so you have to take at, you have to look at it that, at you know through those eyes. But I think she did a phenomenal job of recording what she witnessed in that location. And uh, I always remember, uh, I got a chance. Now, Joe and Flo Mishnick had owned the house, and uh, they were the last real owners that lived in there. And uh, I got a chance to go up there. And I didn't go in the house or anything, but, I mean, I was able to, to walk around and, and see some of the sites that uh, Clara had gone and, and recorded about. And you could feel some vibration. You could feel some stuff going on. And years after uh, the Mishnick passed away, uh, my friend Joe Piari and I, uh, we got permission to actually go there because they were going to go and tear down the house. Right. They, this was like, this is like 20, I believe it was like 2019. Oh, oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. It was like 20, yeah, it was like 2011, somewhere yeah. around there. And they were going to go and bulldoze the house. They were going to subdivide up the little property. And, uh, we got a chance to go there. And, uh, when we went there, the front door had been kicked in. All the windows were blown out. Uh, kids were kids had vandalized it pretty good. And uh, all we wanted to do was photograph it and video it for posterity. Because, you know, I mean, you know yourself, Western New York has a really great habit of destroying its mythology. Can I just uh, interrupt you? Yeah. When I saw you on Paranormal Lockdown, mm-hmm. it seemed like, you had full knowledge pretty much of what was going on there, and you said that you couldn't sleep in Mary's room. No, I couldn't. Me either. No, and I had been up Me there. Either. I had been up there. I don't know, countless times. Uh, there were so many people that had rented the property, uh, were squatters on the property, and I, I mean, I got a chance to go up there a lot. And I was, a, I have a, I had a chance to go in the house. I had a chance to stay at the house many times, and. Um, that was always the room that 
was uh, pretty hardcore for me personally. A lot of people are like, well, I slept in there and nothing happened. Well, you know, that's you got to be the right person at the right place at the right time. You have to write the same knowledge, you know. So that was a room that Clara had told me, and I interviewed Clara a couple times, and I got a chance to talk with her a couple times. She's a wonderful lady, wonderful lady, sharp, still sharp. And she went and she told me that they just ended up going and closing off that room uh, because, you know, the lamp would levitate and would move around. And it always had a bad vibe in there. But she slept with Beth downstairs in the uh, one of the uh, in Beth's room, which is like the wall is gone now, but it's like a little corner off of the uh, living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said that there was a lot of things that, that would go on in there. So, I mean, I was in there a few times, and it just was never really cool. And we did an investigation in there, and we went up there with plasma balls. And we set the plasma balls up along that inside wall on the right-hand side. As you're looking at the, if you're looking at into the into the room, the door is open. You have a right-hand side, and that's uh, uh, we put the balls in there. And we asked at that one point, I said, you know, where are you? Can you tell us where you are? And both balls actually went, and the plasma actually went to the right. You know, the balls actually went right to the right. And it was like into Laura's room, and uh, which was up at the top of the stairs and uh, to the right. And uh, that kind of always told me that there was something with Laura that uh, was really hardcore there. And I know that it's going to make me in tears because um, even before Dan bought the place, I went there. It was 2008. I explored the place, and I had like an attachment. I didn't realize until I talked to him later, but, um, yeah, Laura's soul needed crossing over, and I talked to Paul Kenyon about this, and it was to the point where, you know, I didn't even know that her brother Mike died, and he came uh, through, through the Ouija board, and he said, thank you for helping my sister. Well, you know, it, 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 was, it was something, because when Joe and I were there the first time, I was standing up at the top of the stairs, mm-hmm. and Joe was in the main bedroom. And uh, I was standing there talking with him and something, you know, you know how it is. I mean, you get that feeling to look. But I looked down, there was a young girl standing at the bottom of the stairs. And there was a trifold door there, and uh, she was holding on to it. And I thought it was just a kid, you know. It wasn't dark or anything yet, and I just thought it was a kid. And, uh, you know, kids are kids, and they probably thought they'd got a dare. That's what I thought. That are there. I'm going to go into the old spook house and uh, see what these people are doing. And she smiled up at me, and I blinked my eyes, and she said, I saw her for about 12 seconds, about 13 seconds, and I forget. There was a, a sound or something, and I looked off to my right, looked down, and she was gone. And I came down those stairs, and the back door had been nailed shut. And I went out. At that time, the door was off the porch, you know, at the end of the porch. It wasn't mm-hmm. the, the original position. Wow. And, <laughs> I went out there, and there was no way. It was December. You could see the hillock behind you very clearly. She didn't go up that way. She didn't go across that field. She didn't go down the road. She, there, there's just no way that she could have disappeared. And then I realized that uh, she had, like, brown, brownish hair with, with sunlight, you know, sun highlight. She had a polyester. I always remember a polyester blouse, white with, like, some kind of pink, with small pink flowers on. She had, I saw one leg with a bell bottom and she had canvas canvas sneakers. So 
know. You know, it's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe she got away. I don't, you know, maybe she was human. I have no clue. So I wrote to Clara. And I emailed Clara. I said, Clara, I know that you've seen girls in the house. And so this is who I saw. And Clara didn't get back to me for a couple of weeks. And she said, you gave me a start. She goes, you described my daughter, Laura, who at that time had passed, you know, had committed suicide and passed away. And she said to me that if anything ever happened to her, she would always come back to that house. She loved that house. And Father Alphonsus Trebon, I did extensive research on him. And in one one article, or one interview, he said that uh, he believed it was a little girl that the haunting had centered around. And that little girl, I mean, we do know, you know, he felt it was Laura that, that it, you know, because I don't know if it was, it was, there was something different about her. I don't, you know, You're I'm making not going to say emotional. she was, <laughs> yeah. I I she was challenged, but, I, you know, there was something, there was something different about her. And yeah. uh, he felt that. He felt that. Well, and, uh, and I know, have but, two. But the problem is, is everybody that, after they left, there's still more stuff that went on there. So I don't think it was centered around her. I think she was a battery for it. I believe that she was a, a focal point for the stuff that was going on. The epicenter. I don't, think that, I, I don't believe that it was her that actually caused it, such as the Pearl uh, case in uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, where you know the, the kid, the mm-hmm. one little girl mm-hmm. there, actually was the focal point. Right. Something happened. But it, and there's a lot that's going. There's a lot that's going on there, and you know, I, I know. You know, I had to, You know, there were. I knew Dowsers back in back in the day. Uh huh. They went up there when Flo and Joe were still alive, and they found that there was two negative ley lines that crossed directly under Flo's chair. And if you ever go to the house today, you'll see the paneling in the living room. One side is all worn out. That was Flo's chair. That's where it was. And that's where they say the center of the crossing of the ley lines are. If you got two layers, you know, I mean, the common common knowledge or common belief is if you have two negative ley lines, that can also amp up things. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of congestion up there. There's a lot of Native American stuff, which I, you know, I mean, that is iffy because of the fact that that's not really a, that's a, that, that really, when, when you go up there, I mean, I've done archaeological survey and I've done a lot of different things. Uh, they're not really burial mounds up there in the classical sense. Uh, they would have gone to a different area. Uh, they guess you find uh, uh, arrowheads up there, but we're talking about Paleolithic arrowheads, three to 5,000 years old. So we're not talking about anything that uh, is after the, uh, uh, after the, uh, uh, the Iroquois, the formation of the Iroquois Confederacy. We're talking about mound builders and that sort of thing earlier. But um, they would have actually been closer to a water source uh, and, you know, that sort of thing. It could have been a hunting camp, but I, I don't believe that that is the, that is the uh, problem that's up there. There's a, there's a couple other things that are up there, but I believe that they're all, Europe, you know, what I call post-European problems, which means I believe that, you know, they would be more, uh, they would be more, like, directed towards the settlers in that area. And a lot of the... A lot of the mythology is not correct. Uh, if you start looking at timelines and that, you know, and you start looking at, you know, the uh, uh, Sullivan Clinton campaign of 1779, you start looking, you start looking at the houses, you start looking at established routes. You know, that wouldn't have been really a, a way station. You know, but there's a couple things that just don't 
jive correctly historically. That doesn't mean that they're not important in a mythological sense, because all of this is, and they're all little, you know, they're all little tidbits to the to the story. But uh, it, I I tend to look at it as hardcore. I tend to look at this is this is a white infestation. This is uh, I believe that your that the location is correct for problems. Now the McMahon family, uh, when you start reading uh, some of the letters that are in the uh, uh, Father Alphonsus Trevolt archives at St. Bonaventure University, you'll see that they got really mad about it. I mean, they, they, all, they all claim that nothing happened while they were in the house and uh, there was nothing, there was no haunting. But again, this all comes to play, right people at the right place at the right time that come in and this stuff blows up. And that's a classical thing that you start looking at in haunted locations. Because I just I was just at a uh, I was just at a haunted hotel down in Whisper, Pennsylvania, and uh, it was a pretty calm pretty calm night. I mean, it was pretty crazy, you know, but it was it was calm. But when you start working different locations, you get the right mix of people. It can explode, and that's the way I always feel. I feel like everything is energy, okay. and when you tap into that right energy, you have that positive energy. You're ready to rock and roll with it, and it all jives. All in sync. That's when you get really some great, unbelievable evidence. You've got phenomena that's going on, and that's—I uh, believe that's the Hinsdale. I know, I know a lot of people that said, oh, "I've gone up to Hinsdale, nothing happened," and it's like, <laughs> lucky well, you. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing. Listen, nothing goes in. Uh, you know, there's no on-off switch. I mean, I was, I was up there, and there's a, a bunch of us. It was a real calm, calm night, calm night. Now sleeping in the living room. And somebody had left a, a REM pod on. And, uh, and I don't know, I, got, I think I got to sleep about 3 a.m. And uh, the REM pod went off at 5 o'clock. And I said, listen, you SOB, turn the goddamn thing off and let me sleep till 7. You know what? The REM pod shut, turned right off. And I went back to sleep. And that just goes to tell, that just shows me that, yes, there's intelligence there. Uh, shows me that it wants to be heard. Uh, and it has to be there at the right time. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty anal about like working with spirits and stuff. You know, I mean, I'm I'm old school, so it's like that's, very, very. That's kind of know, what I want to get into. Boundaries. Listen, sure. anybody who knows you knows you are a effing legend. <laughs> no, that's no, no. why. Maybe in my own mind, Kate. No, you, well, mind. I thought so before <laughs> I even knew you. <laughs> no, I thought so before I even knew you, but. But let's be real. You are a psychic medium. So when you go to places like this, have you been to, like, um, I'm sure you've been to Wildwood Sanitarium. Sure. Love, love Wildwood. Uh, I love it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it there. And I have trigger objects in the world. What's that? From Wildwood. I purchased a postcard that was written from Wildwood. Wildwood is on the, is on the postcard, and it is from a woman in Franklinville who was a patient there, and she X'd out the windows where her room was. So when I get down there again, I'm going to bring that with me, and I'm going to go and see if we can kind of use that as, as a, you know, as something that will really trigger phenomena and see what we get. But, I mean, that place, during COVID, mm-hmm. we went up there and we did solos, and we are you know, we were putting on the Internet, and... Of course, there were, it was six of us, and they got me last. Imagine that. 
and I went up on the second floor. Didn't feel a thing, but walked up there, and there was something, there was a shadow person, like, right there in front of me. That's what I thought as well. Yeah, like, bang, you know, it's like, there there you are. that have had similar experiences but for this place I personally felt comfortable like this was yeah. the real deal they didn't try to hurt anybody this was cutting edge medicine and yeah yeah so well, I could sleep here yeah. I could sleep my here biggest, my biggest <laughs> bitch my biggest bitch uh-huh. is that people that don't that don't respect things and uh-huh. now you know I mean again I've worked with different people I've, I've worked with exorcists and uh, you know I've done hard, some hard, hardcore cleansing where you've got to get to the bottom of stuff so I'm not afraid to go and poke the I'm not afraid to provoke. Uh, I know my place, but I don't. I'm not afraid to do it. But those are times when it calls for that. But if you're going in there to do two-way communication, spirit communication work, you don't go in there. You know, I mean, I have a loud voice, so sometimes people think that I'm provoking when I'm just talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it all depends on the, the questions and the way. You the way you uh, phrase sentences, sure. that sort of stuff. And, and, if, and you know what? If you have a genuine respect, right? you'll never have a problem. You'll never have a problem. But, again, I mean, with me being brought up with this, 
having a fear of it. I have a fear of the kink in your armor. I have no fear of this stuff at all. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't worry about ever bringing home it. I brought that one attachment in over like 40 years. So, I mean, that's because I thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was going to ask uh, you about that. Where did that come from? It was a uh, it was a Native American thing um, where I shouldn't have been I shouldn't have been involved with it. Uh, and a friend of mine said, who's who is uh, Algonquin, he said to me, uh, "Listen, he goes, you know, you have a lot of respect on the res for what you do." And and I mean, I do. I, I mean, I have I knew a lot of people out there, uh, but you're not one of us. And this is a native this is a Native American problem, so it should be handled in a Native American way. Sure. And I let him. I let him take care. I let him take lead. I walked away from it, and there was never a problem after that. But that was the only time I ever got anything that I brought home with me. But then there was a chink in my armor because of the fact that I didn't quite understand the whole longhouse, the whole longhouse religion, the way it, the way it's presented, the way you know it's practiced. Uh, I had always been. You know, some of my other friends have been Anglican, you know, different religions, even though they were Native American. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's the only time I ever had a problem with anything. Uh, and a lot of times, too many people think that they get attachments when it's their own imagination. Because the average sure. attachment, you know, it happens. The average attachment sure. lasts about four days or five days and fades away. Uh, that's <laughs> the average one. Now, sometimes you get some nasty little bastards out there that hook in, and you have to really work to get rid of those. Mm-hmm. But the average one is only for four or five days. But a lot of people automatically, uh, if they're not hardcore, they'll go in and they'll say, I got an attachment. Well, why do you have an attachment? Well, when I came home, stuff was displayed. Let me ask you this. Do things get displayed normally? Uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll swear no. But, you know, you, you can always tell if somebody I mean, I, I have, you know, I have voodoo, voodoo 
friends that do different things, different mm-hmm. rituals. And that's within their framework. And I do believe a lot of what they're doing. I have a lot of people in the craft that will do something. And I don't have a problem. The problem that comes in is how much do you believe? If you believe 100%, well, then it's going to work. It's just like spell casting. It's just like hexing and all that. If you believe 100%, it's going to work. It's going to work. The problem comes in is if you don't believe that 100%. It's like same thing with protection. A lot of people make a big ritual of going into these haunted houses uh, with protection. I mean, we were filming. Uh, I was filming uh, uh, with Portals. Portals uh-huh. Hell in uh, what is it? Oh, Flagstaff, Arizona. And some of the crew was like, before they'd go in there, you know, they're all kind of huddled together and stuff. And, and uh, they're like, well, aren't you going to do anything? And I mean, Kat, you know, Kat Weed, I've known her for years. Uh-huh. <laughs> she just looked at him and she goes, don't worry about him. He's okay. And I just, and I just walk in. Well, I believe that, you know, my friends are always set. If you believe, if you live a decent life, and I mean, if decent life is that you're human, you screw up. But if you don't go out of your way to hurt anybody, and you don't go out of your way to steal or whatever. Uh, then you don't have anything to worry about. There's nothing that I attach to. So I don't ever worry about that because I believe 100% in that. But a lot of people, if you have that little chink where you're not quite sure, that is where you run into problems. And usually you pick up a parasitical spirit or something that wants to go in. Sure. You know, it's like a vampire, like a vampire energy sucker, you know, one of those things. And, you know, hell, I mean, I got, you know, I, I can go to I can go I can go to the mall here in Chickawaga and pick up something like that, you know. <laughs> we were just there. We need to see you soon. We were at the Urban Air for the kids' birthday party, the trampoline park. But yeah, we live close. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been up there. I haven't been up there in a while. I mean, I moved. I lived like in that whole neighborhood. I moved about three years ago, a little bit further out, and uh, so I have. I haven't, I haven't been in, I don't go, I don't very seldom do I go into malls that have a lot of people. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable, but it was for a kid's party, so I made it happen. But listen, listen, I, people look up to you, Tim, and I'm grateful that you decided to, to talk to me. I think that, were you friends with Paul Canyon? From I know Paul, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're good, you know, I mean, we're, we're on good terms. He's a good guy. He's just a good guy. I always like Kenyon. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was always there to help out. And, I mean, he's been up there a couple times. So were you, yeah. though. You were there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I love, you know what I love about Kelly is uh, Polly, Polly is a boots-on-the-ground witness. And right. There's only a few people that are willing to go at this that you can prove that were there at that time. Right. And he, and a lot of them won't talk about it. A lot of them, you know, when I wrote uh, the C2P1 Haunting, which is a companion piece to an indie movie uh, about the true, uh, the true temporal possession attempt of a uh, student at Geneseo State, uh, a lot of people were there at the time, but they won't talk to you. It's like, listen, whatever is in the past is in the past, and I don't care. I don't want to remember it, and that's it. They want to, you know, it's out of their lives, and they don't want to bring it up. Uh, Paulie's a good guy because of the fact that if you have a question, and, you know, what I love about him is he asks the same questions to him, and he always has the same answer to you. Some people like to embellish. Always has the same answers for you. And I love the fact that he was there during the height of it. And a lot of people are a lot of people say that they were there, but were Not they like really? that. And we're starting to go into a generation now where you're starting to lose so many people. You know, Laura's gone, and Michael is, you know, Michael, who uh, the one of the sons, he's passed. Have you ever met now. Laura? 
reader? No. No, I never got a chance. I know some people that, that did, that I've able, been able to talk to, and they, they said she was a great person. Now, Mary, Mary is still alive, I know. And um, That's been and the closest Clara. connection that I've had to the house, the reason why I go there. And, you know, it's crazy. So I didn't know that Mike died until I helped Laura cross over. He came. Yeah, that was a, he came. That was a, it was just one of those things. And, you know, when I had interviewed Lara back years ago with my, with my old podcast, with the old show, uh, he was, he had still been alive. The, I remember I interviewed somebody that said that they were an integral part of there. And I focused Clara, Michael, Michael helped Clara download the, the podcast and listen to it. And I always remember she said, what crap is that? This, this guy wasn't around. Nobody, he wasn't there. The, and I mean, it, it's amazing because these type of people come out of the woodwork when you start going and doing hardcore research up there, you know, or anywhere, anywhere that's haunted. And that's why, like, when you start doing, you know, when you start interviewing people, you have to really kind of, you know, you listen to everything, you know, but you have to really see if you can find someone who can verify that they were actually there. And that's Paul. Is, Paul is just a wealth of information. And the stuff that he witnessed is totally amazing. And he and Clara, what I loved about it is when I asked Clara about a lot of the stuff that he told me, Clara validated everything that he told me. And that's why I always thought, wow, dude, you're, uh, you, are the living, you are the living mouthpiece for Hinsdale right now. And you know yourself, Jane. A lot of people go up there. They make up stories. They make up, you know, experiences because of the fact that they want to be part of the legend. Sure. You know they want to, you know they want to bring a little light to themselves, and uh, you know, and then they're or they're embarrassed to go up there and say nothing happens. I mean that happens a lot. I've seen a lot of paranormal investigators have that. Probably nine tenths of every case is that ever case I've ever done because nothing has happened when I was there. Listen, Tim, but, if I if I didn't have this person come to me, I would not. I would be. I would know nothing. Uh-huh. Everything I've been told has been proved my facts. So I'll tell you what, what happened the last time. So the last time I went up there, and I didn't know this, all of a sudden in my head I heard Laura Bear, Laura Bear. And, yeah, I'm, Laura like, Bear, yeah. and I'm like, did somebody, was that a nickname for her? So I kept that in my mind. That was on my way there the last time I went there. So I get there. I go in the room. Besides the birdcage and one other thing, there's a little tiny bear. And, you know, the other thing is about Vicks. I mean, Laura yeah. loves Vicks. I mean, the Vicks that, 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 that's an unbelievable trigger object because a lot of people don't realize that. And uh, I forget, somebody told me that they had gotten an impression. I think. the smell of, oh, I know what it was. Somebody, a psychic told me that they had gotten the, the smell of Vicks when they walked in the house. And uh, I remember we talked to uh, Clara about it. Clara said, oh, yeah, she loved Vicks. I mean, she, that, that was something she just loved the smell of it. So, I mean, that is great when they, you can validate. But so many people come in there and there's just such wild things that they say. But, you know, uh, everybody is uh, everybody has their own opinion, opinions of the impressions they get. I mean, when I go up there, uh, it was funny because I had done some research on the house and everything that I expected to happen actually happened. So to me, the house actually is a living, breathing entity. So it is, you know, it will give you what you want if 
knocks on the walls and having the knocks actually come. Uh, that to me is great. Uh, to hear a voice coming from the, you know another part of the house that is amazing. Because I know Philip, Philip Dandy, uh, towards the end they heard a child in the basement, a child crying in the basement. He said, "Oh my God!" He goes, "Now they're torturing a child or upsetting a child in the basement." And and Claire said, "No, there's no child in the basement. That's just." That's one of the things that I've told Dan. I said, I guarantee you there are three bodies buried under Beth's old town. Guarantee. It's not that easy to dig up, but. Well, there's a, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you got to always remember. There's a, it's, a, it's an old farm. Chances are that there are bodies buried somewhere on the property. And chances are that, uh, you know, if, if, they're, if graves are not marked, not remembered, not revered in some way, uh, or venerated in some way. Sometimes that that will go and spark things up. Uh, you always have to look at that. And the same thing like when Paul was telling me about the the redheaded girl with buck teeth that was dance spinning uh, at the end of the pond. Uh, that always I always thought about. Well, maybe there was somebody buried there because you know the pond. I mean, we all know that that was where the barn was at one time. And when they tore down the barn, they dug the uh, and they did. You know, they dug the pond. Could they have disturbed something? Could there have been a little family cemetery off to one side uh, that may have? Well, I've been quiet about it. I've been quiet about it. I'm sure you have. But Dan now has mentioned that he has marked marked the grave. Yeah. I don't ever like to, I don't ever like to say anything about it. Me neither. I'm just saying. (laughs) Because people become gawkers, and I don't like that. Uh, if you go out no. there and he has uh, mentioned that, I mean, when it. you see it, you know, right. at the area at the area where these are allegedly, I think I there's more. I see. I've seen the video and I've seen the photos and stuff. Uh, I mean, you should leave flowers or, or something, you know, as a as just as a, a small memorial or as a remembrance, because a lot of times people don't realize that uh, spirits that are attached. And, I, and by saying attached, that doesn't mean that they can't go on there, here, there, and everywhere. But, I mean, they're really something that it, it's like this was their whole life. If you give them some kind of veneration, that's all they want. And they're very, very happy about it. And there's a, and the confusion. Because, you know, you have to understand that sometimes Earth, you know, is very, very confused uh, as to what time era it is, who are these people, what's going on. And I've always... I've always been fascinated by the interdimensional time thing, that trip where it's like maybe we're the ghosts in someone else's someone else's scene. You know, maybe they're like, who, who are you? And I, I always remember Jason Hawes talking about that. And uh, Jason, uh, he's always been like, you know, you don't know these things, so you have to kind of like hold, keep that in your keep that in your toolbox, and just in case. And if you're getting some kind of some kind of strange or something, you know, some kind of evidence that you don't understand, back it up a little bit and then switch roles and see if that works. And that, I love that. I mean, I really do. And it's, it's the same thing with time. Oh, oh God, uh, Echoes in Time, uh, where you go, Echoes in Time, yeah, I think that's what it's called, where you reenact certain time periods. It's like the Singapore theory. And that's what we used to call it years and years and years ago. That's kind of how I felt when I went to Ripples in Time. That's um, what it's called, Ripples in Time. And a lot of times that's enough to trigger some kind of interaction because the spirit is comfortable looking or feeling it or you're, you know, you're doing something that they're 
familiar with. And uh, uh, that's another thing that you can that that really has been successful for us, especially like at the Fort Niagara. That place can that place can pop sometimes. Is that in uh, Canada, and right? The, and some of the some of the Civil War battlefields. I mean, I've slept on a lot of Civil War battlefields and uh, a lot of historic houses. And all this, you know, I mean, if you walk in there and it's familiar to whatever, whoever's in that house, uh, there's a good chance there's an interaction. Tilly Pierce, is, Tilly Pierce and uh, Getty from my friend Jolene Riley just wrote a book about it. And uh, every time I go down there to speak or teach, they always put me up the Tilly Pierce bed and breakfast. And I, you know, and, and you know, as, as someone who does some traveling, I make sure that my doors are always closed and locked. You wake up in the morning, the door's wide open for you, stuff is moving around. I mean, if I believe it's because of the fact that, that because of my uh, Civil War interests and, you know, and, and my lineage, I believe that they feel comfortable doing that. And then they also know that it won't scare me when I wake up. I just look up and I'm annoyed and close the door and go back to bed. <laughs> so listen, so, so, I'm, so I think I mentioned, so your website, Timothy P. Um And so how did your Black Cat Lounge come about? I'll tell you, it, you know what? I never wanted to do any of this stuff. Never wanted to do it. I was happy just serving church. I was just happy being, you know, in the church setting, and that was good enough for me. And um, way back in the dark ages, when there was only like two or three paranormal networks out there, uh, these two crazy brothers from Kentucky, they had a thing called Parax, and uh, I used to, I would call it, they had call-ins and stuff, and I would call in and ask the guest questions. And one day I got an email from them, and they said, hey, uh, would you consider doing a show? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no way. I'm not doing a show. No, I, you know, who's going to listen to me? I don't, I, nobody wants to hear me speak. And they said, listen, it doesn't cost you anything. Try it out. And that was way back, again, way back in the days when uh, everything was all, all audio. So I went and I, I said, okay, I'll try it. And uh, I did that for 12 years. And then uh, we got picked up by CBS Radio. We were five major markets okay. uh, for, for a few years. We were doing that. And uh, it was one night. I, I couldn't even tell you. I got all the shows archived someplace, but couldn't tell you how many shows I actually did. I believe I did four out of 52, you know, 52 weeks. I believe I did 40. 49, 48 49 shows a year. And uh, we were doing, again, when we were on CBS, we were actually doing two shows, plus we were simulcast. Okay. So uh, we did that. And then when my mom got sick, I took, you know, I, I got off the air for a few years. And then uh, five of us during COVID, uh, you know, we had all been in contact. And a lot of us were on the circuit. You know, we were all, we were all been speakers at different conferences and that sort of thing. And uh, so we all had a group chat, and we said, hey, why don't, you know, COVID's here. What do you say we do something? Let's just try to get people's mind off of whatever's going on. And so we went, and uh, out of the five of us, I'm the only one that's left, but we all decided to do one show a week. didn't matter if it was five minutes. didn't matter if it was ten hours. But we were going to do one show a week, and uh, I brought back the uh, Black Cat Lounge. Oh, and also, in between all of that, I did – we did, uh, my friend uh, Eric Cooperdyke and I did a, uh, a, a YouTube thing and a radio and a, uh, a podcast called Curiosity. So we had done that, mm-hmm. the in-between thing else. Uh, but, I mean, we've been, so I've been on the, I've been back on the air for, I don't know, for three years now since I guess maybe four 
I don't even know anymore. But uh, that's how I got back on. That's how I done here, and uh, uh, I made some great friends because of it. And uh, you know, the opportunities I have had are, are just amazing. You know, I just and uh, I just did a thing for just a little while ago for uh, Nick Groff's good friend uh, mm-hmm. for his Deathwalker series, and we were talking about yeah, it's going to be an upcoming episode at Fort Niagara, okay. and I got a chance to talk about that. And cool. you know, so we're going to be up there. And, I mean, you know, I get a chance to hang out with some pretty crazy people and uh, some really knowledgeable people. Right. And, uh, you know, you don't, you know, you don't get a chance to do that very often. My biggest problem is trying to re- is trying to balance retirement with all of this. <laughs> That's my hardest. I've been retired seven years, and for my day job, and I just, I, I get the right. I never stop. Right. Uh, you know, I went and I uh, uh, was doing uh, uh, production work, directing, producing production work for not-for-profits, for, for uh, public access TV uh, when I first retired, and then we just, I just kept going with that. I never, again, I never stopped. I just, I've always uh, uh, been busy, and now uh, my problem is, is I double book so much stuff, and I don't realize it until I have it. I actually, I have my calendar sitting here. That's what I was doing before the show is trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be like in the next day or so. <laughs> right. I I know that you're super busy and thank you again. Oh, it's fun. But I, you, I, you know, you're lo- listen, you're a local gal. You've got you you've, you've got you've got your stripes. So I mean, you know, you, you, you work hard at what you do. And that's why when when you asked me to be on the show I said absolutely I don't mind that, you know. You know, it's a lot of fun and I mean and here's the thing. This is what it should be all about. You know, I mean, I can't. I mean, I'm lucky. I've been blessed. I get, yeah, I've got some network gigs, you know, and, and repeated network gigs like Portals. Man, i got three episodes on there. And it's phenomenal. You don't ever get stuff like that. Never in a million years I ever think I was ever going to get again. With this gig on, on uh, Ghost Hunters and, you know, and I get, and like this year I'll be uh, down in, outside of Richmond for a, uh, an event with uh, the Kling Brothers from the old Ghost Lab series. And uh, Jason Vaughn, where did you get a chance to do this stuff? And it's all because of the fact that, you know, I just, I just, I think I've outlived, <laughs> just outlived a lot of people. But also, I mean, you make some really great friends along the way. And that's what it should be all about. It shouldn't be, a, for me, it's not about the money. For me, it's not about fame or anything. For me, it's just getting out there and, and talking to people that are cool like you. You know, I get a chance to 